Are you hungry for the usual today? Or are you ready to spice things up with the new Nashville hot brisket from Firehouse Subs? We're kicking up our slow-smoked beef brisket with Nashville hot seasoning. It's topped with melted pepper jack and our sweet and tangy slaw served piping hot on a toasted cornbread roll. Yeah, a cornbread roll. Save time. Order your new Nashville hot brisket on the Firehouse Subs app today. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Coming to you from the mecca of college football, Atlanta, Georgia. Inching closer and closer to the start of the regular season. Plenty to talk about. Another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SCC Network. You can catch us on Twitter at J.C. Sherbert, at Morgan on Air. Always love your feedback and questions, comments, or anything else. As we uh, put together another installment, I guess about a little more than a week after the last one covered a lot in the in the last one, JC, and then we kind of ran out of time, and that's what we do from time to time. But we got a few things to get to today, including scheduling and transfers, and uh, a couple of jobs have been named, a couple of uh, surprises perhaps, and uh, some other tidbits that have come out of the ranks of college football. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, around this time every year, you know, I think we're about 17 days from kickoff. I start getting impatient. Um, so I'm going to go to the beach here in a couple of weeks to kind of clear my mind and get ready for the season and, and can't wait for it to start. Um, we actually have a, a big game August 24th. So in 10 days, uh, the Gators and the U will kick it off in Orlando and, uh, I just think that's such a great thing, Mike, because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the secondary ticket market for that game is insane. Um, you know, we we don't have a ticket sold problem in college football. We do have an attendance problem. But I expect, uh, I guess they're calling it Camping World Stadium <clears throat> to be packed uh, on, on August 24th with Gator and Canes fans having game day at the Magic Kingdom, one of the happiest places on earth in Disney. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Uh, there's a lot of opinions about that out there, but I think that's kind of cool because, uh, uh, you know, maybe I would have had it at Disney's Wide World of Sports Complex, but, you know, Magic Kingdom's a Magic Kingdom, and I think that that's, um, that's good too. So uh, I'm ready for that. I, I can't wait to watch that game, and I can't wait to – get things started with um, everything else on the last day of the month. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, most of us as fans would be all for this uh, week zero thing to have a couple of games like this every year. Uh, this is, again, my my calendar friend who he's like Nostradamus or something. He knows how the calendars work, but uh, I, I, I fail to understand this every time it happens. So we, this is one of those rare years where we start especially early and we have two bye weeks. Uh, that's not going to happen again for like another eight years from what I understand. But, uh, but I, I love the kind of the, the, the appetizer, but it's not, it's better than an appetizer. I mean, that's a pretty good course when you got Miami, Florida, and you got all the storylines there with a, a new coach at Miami and, Everybody wants to see if Florida is for real or they're a fraud. Um, 
you know, it should be a competitive game. I don't know what's going to happen. Florida's a favorite for a reason. Miami is still figuring out uh, a lot of things, although they have finally settled on a, a quarterback, and it's not Tate Martell. We'll, we'll get into that uh, later on because there's been a few transfer news. Uh, but, you know, I, I think on that subject, the, schedule, the scheduling issue, it won't go away, uh, you know, especially when you got guys like Nick Saban carrying the torch of the conversation and Nick kind of reiterating that he wants a rule – where you've got 10 power five opponents, 10 of your 12 would be against power five schools. If you're in the power five. And of course, I don't know many fans that would uh, disapprove of that, but it's a little easier to, to kind of lead the way on something like that. When you're at the top of the mountain, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and Nick's Nick's not worrying about bowl eligibility ever. Nick's not worried about his team wearing down due to a brutal stretch in his schedule. Nick's not worrying about things that, 95% of the other coaches in America do have to worry about. So, I mean, it's great that there you are and technically you're not top of the mountain for the time being, you're right below Clemson on that mountain. Uh, but for the most part, for the last decade, you've been at the top. Uh, so you're going to see things a little bit differently as, as that, as from that perch, than you would so many other programs that are trying to navigate their way. Like, okay, how can I, for a lot of schools, it's simply, how can I get the six in bowl eligibility? And then for a lot of other schools, it's, there's a big difference between say six and eight wins. You, you ask your average fan after a six win season and some ridiculously bad bowl game versus an eight and four, and a decent bowl game, the morale of that fan base is a hell of a lot different. The security of that of that coach is a hell of a lot different. And then you go from eight to ten. Again, nobody asks a year later, two years later, ten years later how you got to ten. They just know you got to ten. Hmm. So I've always found it interesting how some people harp on this. And let me just say this, and I think I brought this up last year when we got to the infamous. Uh, you know, week 12, if you will, the week right around uh, right before Thanksgiving where the SEC yeah. tip, typically scheduled a lot of FCS opponents. And that's changed, by the way, this year. Yeah. That they, they have altered it where you're not going to have – I mean, you've got, for example, Georgia playing Texas A&M that week. I mean, you, you've got some, some – LSU plays Arkansas – Tennessee plays Mizzou, so it's not just Cupcake City. They, they, the SEC has made inroads to change it. But for the most part, there's still FCS teams on there. There's still MAC teams on there. And to that, I would just say this. What is the difference between playing one Cupcake opponent from a Group 5 league versus like a bottom-of-the-barrel a program from a power five league. I mean, like in name, it sounds better. It looks better. It has more glitz and glamour, but it's not a, a universal rule that the power five schools are better. And the other thing is, I don't care if Alabama plays Western Carolina in, in week 11 or you know, their 11th game of the season. Does it take away from anything else? no, they still play in the toughest division in the Southeastern Conference. They usually, Duke withstanding this year, play a very legitimate out-of-conference opponent in week one. So, I, I mean, for people that like to 
focus on they 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 cherry pick the weakest game on a SEC team schedule and they're like aha aha gotcha the SEC programs for the most part simply don't have to apologize for what they line up on a 12 game slate compared to what the rest of America lines up on a 12 game slate so I, a lot of times I do think it's much to do about nothing and I, I don't know if, if the conversation is moving us ahead any uh, yeah, I, I think the, the leagues that play nine games are chirping a little bit about that, you know, and the, the Big Ten and, you know, the the uh, Pac-12 and, and the Big 12, especially where everybody plays everybody, you know, and, and, and they th- those are the, pro, the, the teams that have been left out of the playoff, you know. I mean, conferences that have not, you know, in, in the last five years done a whole lot when it comes to the, the four-team playoff. Um, I, I think, Mike, that, you know, in the SEC in particular, that there's two dynamics. There's external criticism, which, uh, quite frankly, I, uh, I think that the league is very, too reactionary at times. Uh, I saw it in recruiting where basically someone on the Internet that was an Ohio State fan, you know, started calculating numbers of players that sign – with SEC schools, not taking into account that SEC schools routinely sign and place players in junior colleges and stuff like that. These are not numbers of guys actually showing up to campus, just signed. Okay, one year Houston Nutt signed 37 guys, and he placed 14 of them in Mississippi junior colleges just as a, a token of his appreciation or whatever. Now that's a little ex- excessive, but at the same time, you know, so the SEC goes, oh, you know, and so you get into this over-signing thing. And there was this false narrative created where, you know, SEC schools were just, you know, kicking guys off the team and replacing them with better players. And that just was not the case when you looked at it and drilled it down individually. Sure, there were some guys whose parents griped and complained because their scholarship was taken. But in 90% of those cases, those, those folks were not adhering to the agreement they made with their scholarships. So what the SEC did, all the schools guarantee scholarships for four years now, so you can't just get cut. Um, but they also put restrictions on their coaches in terms of how many players they can sign in a given recruiting cycle, which puts them at a disadvantage. Um, because the Big Ten, they don't have that. Penn State can sign 28, 29 guys. Uh, the SEC schools, you know, they got to stick to 25. Um, and the NCAA has kind of mandated some things, so maybe it's a little more even. But, you know, I look at it. So, so that was reactionary. I think, you know, doing – and look, I don't, I'm not a big fan of SoCon Saturday – in the SEC because it's sandwiched between two huge weekends. You're sitting there watching, you know, if you have an entire conference playing FCS or, or group of five opponents uh, and your SEC game of the week is Tennessee, Missouri, um, you know, that's not going to be a, a very enjoyable uh, weekend of football, um, you know, unless you're watching other conferences or whatever. So, uh, but I think that's again reactionary because everybody was talking about it, and you know you, you got this whole tongue-in-cheek thing uh, from the SEC haters out there. Oh, well, look at all these guys because it happened all at one time. Um, so, so, so that's that's the external part of it uh, that I think the Southeastern Conference in particular does. I mean, nobody's sitting there griping at the ACC about playing only eight conference games and, and stuff like that, and they do rotate Notre Dame on, and they do have you know, some requirements to play other Power 5 schools, but nobody's sitting there tearing John Swafford and those guys down because, you know what, if it weren't for Clemson, they wouldn't be a very good football league at all. 
Um, it's it's the haters gonna hate method. Internally, though, Mike, I, I think the SEC fans, and, and this is this is even Alabama fans, because I, I talk to folks that are that are fans of all these schools. The way the scheduling works now in the league um, leads to a lot of monotony. Um, and, and, and you have these neutral site games, which I think have been great, uh, and they're great for TV, and, and I actually like them. But the fans get sick of them. Alabama scheduled yet another neutral site game in Atlanta uh, a couple of years ago, and the fans almost revolted because they want a home and home. Because sometimes when Bama, uh, you know, when the schedule rotates a certain way, uh, and let's keep in mind, Tennessee hasn't been good for a decade, and that's their permanent opponent from the East. When it rotates a certain way, they're looking at five home games, six home games of, of, of crap. And so they're a little pissed about it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know that those are going away or anything, but, but I do think it's the same teams over and over that a lot of them choose. Um, and, and for good reason, because it's, it's kind of a made-for-TV moment. Um, I, I think the, 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 the snaking way that the schedule does uh, and what I mean by that is in other words you play if you're in the east you play you know seven or six because you have a permanent so you play six rotating opponents six years in a row in other words you know you'll go to Arkansas and then you'll have Ole Miss at home and then you go to Mississippi State and then you have LSU at home and then you go to Auburn so so you have schools that don't play each other for 10 years Uh, and I'm going to use a South Carolina example for this because uh, it's the school I follow the most. But, you know, the Gamecocks were average football team last year. Ole Miss, average football team last year. Um, Gamecocks go to Oxford for a 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff in November. Okay. And it's it was one of the best road crowds that a fan base that typically travels pretty well has brought in years. And you know why? Because they haven't been to Oxford in 10 years. <laughs> you know? Um, everything else is kind of the same old, same old. And, and, and I feel the same way about the bowl games and the bowl tie-ins. It, 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 we're in an era now where freshness matters. Um, you know, and, and so I think that hurts the SEC as well. I don't know how you do away with the permanent opponents um, because of the traditions of, of games like Bama, Tennessee, and Auburn, Georgia. Uh, LSU, Florida, I'm sure, would get out of theirs if you'd let them. And then I don't know that it's fair that you have some schools rotating and some schools not. So, you know, I don't know how they solve it, you know, in terms of that. But I do feel a monotony setting in with regards to the SEC schedules. So I I think that that's that's kind of the internal thing. Now, what Nick Saban's doing is Bama's schedule is terrible this year because some genius decided that Duke and Bama in Atlanta to open the season would be a good game. And so I think that that's a problem that they're facing – um, and, and Nick Saban's kind of getting criticized for it. Well, they don't play anybody, so he's saying, okay, we'll just bring it on and, um, and let's go with, um, you know, 10 Power 5 games. Uh, and I agree, you know, that's not ideal for everybody at all. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think that's kind of his motive is he's kind of protecting his program because, quite frankly, their schedule is kind of a, a bit light this season. It is. I will say this on the on the Duke matchup, and I've listened to the people that that put on that event every year here in Atlanta. It, it wasn't as if Nick Saban was seeking out a weaker opponent. Um, sometimes you just got to take what you can get, and that's what was available. Uh, but but that wasn't a conscious effort on Nick Saban's part. Like you know, we've we've been challenging ourselves too much in Atlanta in that game. So let's 
let's lighten up the load a little bit. Uh, that's just, that was what was available. And the benefits of playing that game in Atlanta on that stage, it, it, it's, I think he looks at it and I think I uh, rightfully so it's better to take a little bit of the, the slack or the heat that you get from playing a less than stellar at a conference opponent in that game versus not playing in it at all. Sure. I mean, the, the exposure in that game is top notch. If you had it in week five, if you had it in week seven, it would be completely, uh, I don't want to say ignored, but it just wouldn't have the same oomph. Uh, but in week one, everybody's craving those matchups. Those at a conference matchups that are unique and that we don't see very often. And Atlanta, as we know, I mean, it's a huge recruiting ground. There's a bunch of sec fans here. There's a bunch of Alabama fans here. So teams like Alabama and Auburn, if they can play in it, uh, even if it's not the ideal matchup, they're, they're going to play in it. But I, and I agree with you on the stale part. I look, I, I think if we had a czar of college football, which we clearly don't, we have five, conference commissioners unilaterally looking out for their own best interest and only their best interest. So, so we don't necessarily do things that are best for the sport. When you think about it, we rarely have. Uh, but if you, if you were to do it, first of all, you wouldn't have some conferences with 14 teams and some with 10 teams and some with eight conference games and some with nine conference games. You wouldn't have all that. Uh, and I, and I hope we get to the point and I might be in the minority at this point. I don't even know anymore. It's been talked about for years and years. And last time you and I were on, we talked about uh, there was an article about if there's actually contraction, which Pete Thamel wrote, he, th- he thinks there's a better chance of contraction in the near future than expansion. I disagree with that premise, but that was his whole article. Um, but if we actually had expansion to, say, four 16-team conferences – and that that's your new kind of power four, if you will, then we could, we could work on fresher matchups and we can work on uniform schedules and we could have more of my conference looks the same as your conference in the terms of the way it's run and the way scheduling is orchestrated, but we just can't do that now. Uh, it, it's not going to be even, uh, you're not, not everybody's playing on a, on a level playing field. So it, it's going to be a little bit discombobulated, no matter how you do it, there's been, I, I mean, for the life of me, I'll never understand why having Auburn in the East would not be a, a, a pretty good idea. Obviously you'd keep Auburn, Alabama, and you would keep, uh, Auburn, Georgia would be in the same division at that point, but, but Auburn, Alabama would be your permanent out of, out of division opponent. I, I don't know what to do within the confines that we have now to quote unquote, freshen it up. Uh, it's, it's tough. That's a tough question and a tough answer to that. But I think overall, when people just cherry pick their arguments on, on what to pick on scheduling wise, this is nothing new, folks. You go back to before we expanded to a 12 game schedule and we had 11 powerful teams always schedule a couple lightweights. Mm-hmm. Always. You go back in any media guide and any program and I'll find you on any given season two or three lightweights that they went out of their way to schedule. And it doesn't necessarily affect them in their pursuit of a national championship. It didn't under the old system very often. And it certainly does not now under a playoff where if you're in a power conference and you manage to go undefeated, 
you're going to be in the playoff. If you're in a power conference and you lose one game, well, then it depends just how powerful your conference is. So, for example, I'm looking at the predictions earlier today. And by the way, they're predictable as usual. And I'm not critiquing the the writers of the world. I'm just it, it's further illustrates where we are in college football. Everybody and their grandmother is Alabama and Clemson. Right. I mean, my my dog Baxter, he actually I asked him and he, he moved his food into the, the form of the Clemson logo and the Alabama logo. And he doesn't watch a lot of games. He's too busy chasing squirrels. Um, and then and then the the wild card is always does the SEC get two? in which case everybody goes with Georgia. So a lot of Georgia and Bama on the playoff. And and then it's do you take Ohio State? Or do you take Oklahoma? And there's just there's not much variety to it at all. And now all those teams have different paths to get there, and they all have either two cupcakes or three cupcakes on the schedule. It doesn't really matter. So I, my only point to all this is, with, with everybody raising the the issue of scheduling as if it's like this epidemic, a this is nothing really new, and b I wouldn't expect it to change anytime soon because no matter what system you come up with, as long as you play a powerful conference schedule and maybe one legitimate at-a-conference opponent, wins and losses is going to dictate your path to a playoff versus not making a playoff, not whether or not you avoided scheduling a really, really bad opponent in week 12 or week 2 or week 5. That is, that is not going to determine whether you're in or out. Oh yeah, and look, if, if if this were the NCAA basketball tournament last year, I don't think Notre Dame would have gotten in. Right. Just because they didn't at the end of the day, they had one quality win over Michigan at the beginning of the season. And it it wasn't their fault because, you know, you, you don't expect a 20-point win in Blacksburg, Virginia, to not mean anything. Well, Virginia Tech was down. You don't expect a blowout win over Florida State not to mean anything. Well, Florida State was way down. You don't expect a win against Southern Cal to not mean anything, but Southern Cal was 5-7 and seven, just like the Knowles were. Yeah, 10, so, and, four, 10 and 14 yeah. with Florida State and Southern Cal combined. Yeah. Who could have predicted that? No, I mean, and, and so, but the, the reason they got in, um, is because and, and then you throw on the top of that that they play five ACC games every year and the ACC outside of Clemson was a bit donkey, um, you know, and people are like, well, they just put them in because they're Notre Dame, I, you know, if they'd have been eleven and one and gotten in, I would have said, yeah, yeah, that's biased, but they didn't. They, they and going undefeated still matters in college football. Um, you compare if, if you did it like the basketball tournament. And you just compared the resumes. Uh, maybe you make a good uh, argument for Ohio State or Georgia. Uh, I think um, compared to Notre Dame in terms of who they beat and, and and the difficulty of those games and things like that. But going undefeated still matters in college football. It's still an undefeated sport. When we expand past four, I don't know that it will. But maybe you know the seventh or eighth seed is a team that's, you know, maybe didn't play the best schedule, but they're a power five team or a Notre Dame and uh, they get in because they're undefeated. I mean, that that's kind of the, that for years, for decades, that's been the benchmark going undefeated. And, and I think the reason a lot of us were clamoring for a playoff is like, it didn't make much sense in 2004 when Auburn went undefeated, but didn't win the national championship or when we had split national championships because of voters like the crap that happened in 1990 when a 10-1-1 Colorado team that was lucky to beat Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl and had a fifth down win at Missouri, 
you know, got voted as the AP champion over a Georgia Tech team that went 11-0-1. That was crap, um, in my opinion. And and that's the the, the thing for the playoff. But right now, you know, it's just kind of a logjam. And, and, you know, you mentioned the rankings, too. And, and, and it you know, look, I've, I've said it from the start. You want to stop Bama and Clemson? Go get good like Bama and Clemson have. You know, people are like, well, it's not fair because, you know, Bama recruits all the best players in the country every year. Well, they have for 10 years, and they haven't won the national championship every year. Clemson certainly didn't when they were when they rose. You know, go make good evaluations, coach it up, get a plan for your program, blah, 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 and do it. You know, there's no reason why you can't, although it's very rare. Um but I, I don't. I don't so much have a problem with the Bama Clemson thing because I, I think that's a that's a different matter. I think that's up for other school up to other schools to just step up and stop them. But I think that beyond those two teams, Mike, it, it, people don't know who to rank anymore. Um, is Georgia really number three in the country? I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I would rank them there. Maybe not. You know, is Oklahoma or Oklahoma and Ohio State? You know, are we are we just going to say that? Well, Jalen Hurts is out there now, and Oklahoma's twenty four and two the last two years, and you know until Texas beats them, we're just going to put it up there. And then Ohio State. I mean, it's just, it's the same teams, um, and I honestly think it, it's it's a deal where you know you talked about Florida earlier. There's no way on God's green earth I would rank that team seventh in the country. There is no way, and this is nothing against the Gators, okay, but. Last year, yes, they won 10 games, okay, and they finished with a win. They were lucky to come back and beat South Carolina, okay, that got them started. This is off of a 21-point loss to Missouri and a game against Georgia where they were competitive for a half. They then beat Idaho. They then beat a garbage Florida State team, and then they beat a Michigan team that had a lot of their best players sitting out because of the NFL that, you know, a month earlier – they were thinking playoff, and now they're in the Peach Bowl. So how interested were they? And for that, we're like, the Gators are back. That and the fact that most people disrespect the Mississippi State job and think Dan Mullen's a miracle worker, and, oh, my God, Florida's just such a better job that, you know, if he can win eight at Mississippi State, he can win the national championship at Florida and all that good stuff. And I'm not saying any of that's not true. I'm just saying it hadn't happened yet. And people are talking about this team going 10-2 and and getting to the playoff. I think people undervalue mm. LSU. Who are those people? <laughs> I, I've seen. I've seen. Uh, so, oh, I'm sorry. I, I said playoff. I'm in a playoff bowl. Finish it. Challenging Georgia in the East. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. I just don't see the proof yet. Now maybe they go. I don't either. Maybe they smoke Miami. Maybe they beat Auburn badly. Maybe they win at LSU, and then I'm changing my tune definitely. And I do think they have some nice pieces, and I do think Dan Mullen's a good coach. But I honestly think that people don't know who to rank. Oh, Florida won That's 10 it. last year. Who do we rank? You know, I mean, LSU's always kind of in the top six. You know, nobody wants to rank them above Georgia, even though they beat Georgia by 20 points last year. Nobody wants to rank them above Georgia because they're, they're not going to be able to top Bama. You know, Auburn's kind of an enigma. Uh, then you have Michigan. All of a sudden, well, Ryan Day's now at Ohio State, so maybe Michigan will win. And, and, then, and then Texas and, and your, your other schools. And, and it's – you, we pointed this out on the podcast, I think two podcasts ago, Mike. It's the same storylines we've had for years. We yes. had to have a manufactured controversy 
during media days about, ooh, was Bama really tired or are they giving Clemson enough respect? And, you know, this is the best team we played. This wasn't the best team we played. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so that was a manufactured storyline. The ACC was all about Clemson. The SEC was, can Georgia finally beat Bama? The Big 12 was, can Texas finally beat Oklahoma? And the Big 10 was, can Michigan finally beat Ohio State? Those are the same four things we've been talking about for years. Credit the Pac-10 with the cockamamie 9 a.m. kickoff controversy. <laughs> that, you know, that gave us a little color there. But I, I think that... Five schools, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, have sucked the oxygen out of the room in college football. And as long as you have a four-team playoff, it's going to continue to be that way. As long as you put an undefeated Notre Dame in the playoff when they clearly are not that good, when they don't even belong on the same field as a Clemson because they have an easy schedule, it's going to continue to be that way. As long as you you like, you know – don't put TCU and Baylor in because they're TCU and Baylor and put Ohio State in. And, look, Ohio State won it all that first year, so I'm not arguing that they didn't belong. But you can't tell me if that were Texas and Oklahoma tied for the Big 12 title that one of those teams would not have gotten in. No question. You know, as long as those things continue to happen, um, the gap between the haves and haves nots will continue. And right now, Mike, there are basically five halves. So so yep. so so let's say you're like the number third. Let's say you're, let's say you're Nebraska, which which is a a team that could make a jump this year. You're looking at it going, well, heck, we we, we thought it would take a couple of years to get to fifteen. Heck, we can get to six, because there's really no difference between you know outside of the top five uh, between those other teams. Shake them up, put them in a bag, and 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 I think that's why people are clamoring for better matchups because we just we've just we, we haven't had those. You know, the most epic playoff was the year Georgia went and right. beat Oklahoma and stuff. So it's we just haven't had that excitement in the postseason because teams take all the oxygen out of the room. Yeah, I, and I think that's the bigger grievance from fans. I, I think sometimes it's they're they're misplacing their frustration and the wrong argument the, the the biggest problem with college football is not because uh arkansas is scheduling uh, i don't know uh, western kentucky november the 9th or auburn is playing tulane on september the 7th that that's not that's nothing new to college football that's not the problem the problem is or the problem is is that it, it has become so stale at the top so predictable. And somebody asked me, you know, do you think this is going to change anytime soon? And my, my reflex knee jerk reaction has always been, no, this is cyclical. Things will change. Uh, it never lasts forever in college football. If you look at it, who would have predicted Southern Cal and Florida state would be five and seven, you know, who would have predicted Clemson would have become a, a power, uh, you know, for that matter, uh, who thought that that Georgia could could kind of emerge as the dominating power in the Eastern Division to where, you know, every year it seems like we're just we're not even thinking twice about it. I mean, I don't know many people that pick Florida to, to, to win the East this year. I, I it's almost unanimous in my mind that everybody just thinks it's a foregone conclusion. Georgia's going to win the East, just like they thought it was a foregone conclusion last year. And just like, it'll probably be a foregone conclusion next year. And the year after that, I don't see a change. I, I don't see a change in that. I don't see a change in 
Alabama in the, the only thing that really can be intriguing would be the West. If somehow LSU figures it out with actually running an offense that resembles the 21st century and having a quarterback that can do it. And then Texas A&M somehow uh, puts an end to a hundred years of not being what their fans think they should be. And, and, and merges that next level until I see it, I'm not buying. Okay. So, and then in the big 10, I mean, even if Michigan finally gets over the hump, well, that's what we expect. We expect the big 10 to at least be a two team conference, right? Ohio state, and Michigan, and in the Big 12, even if Texas gets over the hump, well, that's kind of what we expect. But then it's still just Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, you look at the Big 12, they want to pound their chest and continually remind everybody we're the only conference that has a round robin and we play nine. Con- we're the only conference. That everybody plays everybody. Well, that's great. But once you get past Texas and Oklahoma, those other eight, many of those have been on the decline. Mm-hmm. So when Texas, volcano program, uh, and Oklahoma, continue to dominate the league you can continue to brag about we play nine conference games and we play everybody well great i'm glad you play kansas you know i'm i'm glad you play a down baylor program every year i'm i'm glad that you uh i, I mean iowa state's been a great story once they lose matt campbell after this year good luck with that they're going to be back to the the ranks of fighting for bowl eligibility every year in lovely ames iowa so we are we are at a point now where it's never been more predictable. And, and I, to go back to that question that I was asked, I had to really scratch my head, not because of dandruff, but because I really was thinking hard about the matter. And that is, is it, is it that cyclical? I mean, are we going to see this change anytime soon? Because for whatever reason, JC, and this delves a little bit more into your realm of recruiting, I feel like the haves have a better advantage of staying on top now than they ever have. I feel like the analysis of players, while it's always going to be an inexact science, you take the ESPN 300, it's a hell of a lot more accurate than the top 300 was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, and so, and, and all these kids seem to want to go to the same top schools every year, paving the way for sustainability of domination. Whereas all these other schools are fighting for that next tier. And what does that next tier yield? Eight wins, nine wins, 10 if, you, if, if you're fortunate. And then that's not enough for that particular fan base because they say, well, we can get to 10. Certainly we can get to 12, right? So I, I, I don't know if we're – I think we're in a holding pattern for the next few years. I don't think there's going to be a dramatic shakeup in the top hierarchy of college football anytime soon. Well, it- the reason Alabama and Clemson are good is, you know, not so much that, that, that they recruit all the five stars and all that. I agree they're more accurate, especially with things like composite rankings where you kind of get everybody's opinion and put it in there. I mean, those, those have proven to be more accurate. But you're still talking, you know, everybody talks about five stars. There's only 32 approximately of those per year. Uh, only about half of them even get drafted. Um, <laughs> you know, you're talking about 16 players. What Bama and Clemson do is they do take elite talent, but they take the right elite talent, and they don't really look at the star ratings. I think Alabama's been recruiting, and I, I've made this point too, and I'm gonna, I've made it to certain audiences of mine, and I'm gonna make it here on our national podcast. I would be curious to see if players were evaluated by the analyst out there without 
even looking at offers, where they're committed to, who's offered them. Now, that's a big part of it because that's a telltale sign. If you have offers from Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, all the powerhouses, you you must be good. I mean, and and usually you are. Well, you remember the old joke, right? If yeah. a, a three-star went to a five-star, if he got an offer from Notre Dame, yeah. that was back in like the '80s and '90s. That was the old joke. And, and that's that's not like a, that's not a bias. That's that's being smart with your evaluations. But I'm gonna tell you this: if we didn't know, like nobody that did rankings knew, and they were just doing an off talent, I think you would see a. a it would probably come out somewhat accurate, but I don't think Bama would be number one nine out of ten years. I think there would be some guys that Nick Saban and his staff out-evaluate the analyst on, um, and maybe the analysts don't quite see it. And then I think there would be some guys that maybe uh, certain schools took and, and, and were high on that, that weren't that good that the analyst out-evaluated them on. Um, I think it would be a lot different just because when you look at football evaluations and you look at the NFL and the millions of dollars they spend and sink into it uh, with the draft every year, and I know you love the draft, it's the same thing. You're evaluating football talent and trying to make your team better. Look at the the, the, the number of busts. Look at the guys that, that some scouting directors love and some don't. Look at the variation of opinion. It's not like basketball where, you know, you're talking about the NBA draft. You're talking about 13, top 13 picks. Let's just, that's an arbitrary number. 13 of the best athletes, no question about it, in the world for their age group. Because you know in basketball, you watch them play the sport, you watch them go up against other teams. You know, yeah, players can definitely get better in basketball. They can get worse. They can flame out. There's no no question about it. But basketball, you know, you, you, the top recruits in the country, they're going to be lottery picks in 18 months, most of them. Um, and then the other ones will get drafted or, or, or whatever. So it's not as much of an inexact science. Um that being said, you know, th- that's why these teams are, 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 are going to, to remain at the top. And I'm just talking about Bama and Clemson because, quite frankly, I- I've seen Georgia do this before. I've seen Georgia recruit top five classes. I saw Mark Rick go in and in his second year win an SEC for the first time, in a, a, I think, since 1980 um, or 1982. Uh, in 2002, and go 13 and one, and had there been a playoff, that team would have also played for a national championship. I also saw him, you know, go, lose three games the next year. You know, I've seen Georgia do this before. I've seen Oklahoma do this for decades. They were almost like the Buffalo Bills of the BCS national championship game for a while. Um, hadn't broken through since 2000, and unless they learn how to play defense, they're not going to. Now, do I think it'd be good for college football if Oklahoma could outscore two teams and win the national title? Yes. Yes, because it's been a while, Sooners. But I, don't, I just don't see it happening. Ohio State, um, they've kind of been the monsters of the Big Ten for a long time. And they played for a lot of BCS National Championships and lost. So I've seen all these other teams do this before. Um, you know, and, and, and they tend to go up and down. I think the sustainability with Clemson, you know, they've still got a ton of talent. And nobody in their conference is even close to challenging them. So let's say Clemson, you know, they lost a lot of players on defense. Let's say that their defense is not as good this year. Well, their offense is going to be really good. And what they're going to do, because the teams they play can't really challenge them, you know, they're just going to blitz and play 
big play football on D and then, you know, dare somebody to score 45 points, which is what it's going to take to beat them. You know, Georgia, I, I just, you know, as long as Jake Fromm stays healthy, some receivers step up and their D-line's good and their defensive personnel's fine. I mean, I think their schedule's very favorable to win the East again. I mean, until somebody challenges them in the East, you're not going to pick against them. But are they the third best team in the country? I don't know. You know, so I, Ohio State has a new coach. Nobody seems to even think about that. I mean, I, I love Ryan Day, but, you know, it, it's just one of those things that, that I think is very, very interesting. Um, I, think, I think we have a false sense past one and two in terms of who actually has a chance. And, it's, it, and I think that hurts it more than anything. I mean, hey, everybody loves Florida so much. Rank them in the top five. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> At least give us some – some kind of break, but it's almost like everybody's like Bama, Clemson, and uh, okay, well, these four teams have been pretty good. Let's just go with them and not even look at yeah, you know, what's actually going on. It's 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 interesting because it's not that interesting. <laughs> it's interesting in that uh, we we just don't have a whole lot of variety. Like you know, everybody wants to pick that dark horse team. I've been asked that question. You've been asked that question. Who's the who's the surprise team this year? Who's the team that nobody sees coming this year? I mean, I can give you a, a lot of and like guys that do a good job of breaking down, not just the, the top, but one through 120 something like the Phil Steels of the world. You know, he'll, he'll have a, a top 10 breakout teams and, and he'll, he'll do a great job with that. But but when we say breakout teams in his world, it's he'll find a team that's going to go eight and four. And that's a breakout team. Mm-hmm. But but for the most part. People in college football, fans of college football, keep up with two things. Their favorite team, their favorite school, and they're obsessed with it. And uh, whether or not they're going to play for a national title, they're still all in on every week and every bit of the depth chart. You know that as well as anybody. You deal with it on a daily basis. So you have that going for you. And then you have some of those same fans and some of those fringe fans who are just concerned about what's happening at the top. That's going to lead off Sports Center every day. That's going to uh, carry the dialogue and the conversation because people don't spend a whole lot of time talking about seven and five football teams. I mean, Paul Feinbaum can can do can kill an hour out of four every day talking about it, but the rest of the world focuses on their own personal team and the very top, which is ahead of the sports, say like Major League Baseball, where most fans could care less about the top. They just care about their own team. If you're a Braves fan here in Atlanta, you're not watching Yankees Red Sox on a Sunday night because you don't care. But you'll watch all 162 Braves games and keep up with the transactions and what's going on on the farm. And and that's kind of the way college football fans are. But they'll also keep a strong eye on the top. And then, of course, you have the gamblers. Now, the gamblers, that's a whole other story. They want to know if, if Kent State's going to cover the four and a half against Eastern Michigan on that Tuesday night Mac game in November. But that's that's where we are. So if you're trying to be creative in your who are my who's my breakout team, when I when I say breakout team, I'm talking about breakout team that actually could make the playoff. We don't have that many options. No, so we you don't. You know, so if you say like, okay, well, Florida seventh, that's ridiculous. They're not that good. I don't disagree with you. But then who am I going to put at seven? Exactly. That's my <laughs> whole point. Who's who going to be seven? Right. Who am I left with? Like once I get the, through the same usual suspects, Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Uh, I'd love to get somebody from the Pac-12 in there. I I, I I just can't do it. Although I think Utah could be a very interesting story this year. Could it be playoff interesting? Mm, probably not, but it could be interesting. Um, 
we, we just don't have a whole lot there. But to, to circle back, and then we'll, we'll, we'll button up this point and get to the next one. The whole the whole thing about scheduling, scheduling is not the problem. If you think there is a problem in college football, and look, we're nitpicking here. We all love college football. If you're listening to this podcast, you can't wait for that first game. You can't wait for those 13 Saturdays in the fall uh, for you to either go to games or watch them on TV or do whatever. And, and nothing about the predictability at the top is going to change your passion for college football. But if we're actually talking about the health of it overall, the health of sport overall, it wouldn't hurt to have a little more variety than what we're seeing at the top. And there's, that's not a, a, a byproduct of creative and crafty, crafty scheduling. If somebody filled out Nick Saban's schedule it for him, if somebody forced Dabo Sweeney uh, to schedule his out of conference games, you know, barring a ridiculous murderer's row of opponents, you're going to be looking at Alabama and Clemson still in the playoff every year. Same thing with Oklahoma and same thing with Ohio state. Like that, that's not scheduling. That's just a, those programs right now are at the top of their respective leagues and have enough distinct advantages where it's going to be really hard to knock them off their perch for a while. And as you keep saying, JC, it's up to the other teams in that league, whatever the respective league is in the ACC. In my eyes, there's only one it's Florida state in the SEC. It's Georgia. It's LSU, maybe A&M, maybe Auburn, maybe Florida. And I'm saying I'm stretching with those maybes, and I don't see anybody else challenging like an Alabama in that league anytime soon. Big 12 is a two. It's a two trick pony. The Big 10 is a two trick pony. The Pac-12 has to find one pony. (laughs) So that's that's just that's where we are. All right. Enough about all that. So we I I did want to mention this real quick. I thought this was interesting. Um, And I have the, the the stat here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna screw it up if I can't grab that sheet of paper. This this is gonna be you. I've never done this before, JC. Mm. I am I am carrying all the equipment that is necessary for this podcast, <laughs> and I'm moving to a particular spot to grab a sheet of paper that I wrote a very distinct note on. I've done this, okay? Audio quality has not suffered. I've not dropped anything. Well, I take that back. I dropped the sheet of paper. I'm bending down. I'm picking up the sheet of paper. This is play-by-play at its finest. Now I have it. Now I'm returning back to my comfortable chair to continue this award-winning podcast. Okay. So we all know about the transfer portal that's dominated a lot of headlines. Um, Where are we today in, in college football now where kids are just bailing left and right? How about this? How about this for a number? There are more starting transfer quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year than there were in all of Division One 15 years ago. Think about that. More starting transfer quarterbacks in the Big Ten conference. Nearly half the league has starting uh, quarterbacks that were started off their career at another school than there were in 120 schools all over the country in Division One. 15 years ago that is a trend now you can make of it what you will is it is it bad is it good is it indifferent but i thought that was really interesting because this is this is going to become the norm now in college football kid the kelly bryant situation while it is unique um and by the way i don't care if Dabo sweeney gives him a ring or not i know some people were appalled by that um 
if, if you quit the team, you're not on the roster when they play the title game. I, I don't know what to tell you, but that's a whole other story. I'll let, I'll let the uh, embrace debate folks talk about that for 30 minutes. Um, I, I look at it as you're going to see more and more Kelly Bryant's. You're going to see more and more Jalen Hurts. And you're going to see more and more kids on six and six football teams that bail the first sign of they're not the starting quarterback. That's just where we are in college football. Do you have any thoughts on like where is that bad? Is that indifferent? I mean, what what does that really mean in the final analysis? Oh, I think I think what's unfortunate about it is um, is the uh, the hype that goes into it, and and I think this gets back to recruiting. And I know it sounds a lot, Mike, like. I worked in national recruiting for 10 years. I've been involved with that stuff for 15 years. I love it. I love doing rankings. I think that the rankings are valid. Um, I think people have gotten lazy and started assuming, probably because of the Alabama dominance, and people are like, you know, they want to apply a logical math problem to every single thing and go, you know, so they can look right. Like, oh, top recruiting class nine out of ten years, this many national championships, you know, this is what you got to do. Um, and so these all these players are really good without actually looking at the individual players, without studying the NFL draft, um, without kind of, you know, understanding. And I think Tua, Tua, Tua Lawrence, the Tua Lawrence situation, <laughs> I think Tua Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence, and to a lesser extent Jake Fromm leading Georgia to the title game as a true freshman – has over-skewed the importance uh, of five-star quarterbacks. Uh, I, I think those two guys, Tua and Trevor, are generational-type guys. Um, that's not to say another guy couldn't do it. Uh, I still think quarterback uh, evaluations are very hard. I think playing the position at a high level is very hard. Um, I think that uh, those guys are the exceptions and not the rules. So, you know, you have a Justin Fields who doesn't want to wait behind, um, you know, from. Uh, um, and to be honest, Justin Fields, when you're talking about scheme within an offense, he made a poor decision because he's a guy. Ohio State is a great decision as far as the scheme goes, um, especially if Urban Meyer were still there. I mean, I know he's not, but uh, – he also made a bad decision going to a place that had a quarterback that just led their program to a national championship game as a freshman. Yeah, I, there's no question. And, well, why and, do you assume that that's going to be that you're going to dethrone him right away? I mean, I know, and, and, and it's because of the the Tua and Trevor thing, and, and you know, nobody. I mean, and so the first sign of controversy, or the first sign of of it's not going to happen, I'm not going to play. You, you bail, and, and these coaches, there's too much at stake for them because they'll get fired. Uh, if they play a bad quarterback, because you know bad quarterback play, uh, the, the game is still very simple. If you suck at quarterback, you're probably not going to be good on offense. Um, and uh, I, so, so, so you have situations like that. Um, but, but the media, and again, I am in the media, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to bring the media down, has gotten lazy and just assumed this is big news. I mean, we had a guy, Brew McCoy, okay, that was a five-star prospect, and, and, and I, I saw him on film. I thought five-star. I saw him in the Army game, thought maybe high four, still an elite talent. But he's one of these guys listed as an athlete. You don't know really where he's going to play. He wants to be a receiver, could be a running back, could be a defensive player. Hell of an athlete, right? Five-star guy. So he signs with SC, Southern Cal. Cliff Kingsbury is going to be the O.C., 
Cliff Kingsbury then, you know, as he should have, takes the Arizona Cardinals head coaching job. If you're not going to be a coordinator at a Pac-12 program, no matter how storied SC is, especially with the head coach on the hot seat, uh, and have no job security, uh, you know, and and turn down the millions of coaching in the National Football League and, quite frankly, seeing if you could revolutionize it with your style of offense. I mean, there's no reason Cliff Kingsbury should have not taken it, you know. Of course, Kingsbury's a former quarterback at Texas Tech, former head coach there, Mike Leach disciple, if you will. So, Brew McCoy gets his uh, – I don't want to say gets his panties in a wad because, you know, he's, he's a kid. And I, and I think his parents and them both were like, oh, well, without Cliff Kingsbury, we don't want to be at SC. So they hightail it to Texas, to Austin. The University of Texas at Austin play for Tom Herman. Texas is working on getting him eligible, all this stuff. He goes through spring out there, doesn't like it, transfers back to SC. Now, the irony of all this is that SC hired Graham Harrell – who also played quarterback where? Texas Tech. Who also is a disciple of whom? Mike Leach. Uh-huh. And as their OC, two two or three days after Kingsbury went to the NFL. So, so, so where was the big issue? I mean, you know, maybe Brew McCoy had a great relationship with Cliff Kingsbury that he developed in two days. I don't know. It, it, it's just that kind of thing. And my point of all this was, and I, I, you know, I didn't really have respect for how anybody involved in that situation handled it, because at some point it's not worth the headache. But it's not so much about that. It's that I'm reading headlines saying Brew, you know, there's like a Brew McCoy story every hour. I read something from a, a writer that usually does pretty good work. This is Brew McCoy is turning the college football world upside down. I'm like, nobody even knows what position this kid's going to be best at in college. And we're giving him headlines and all this other stuff. Point number two, Alabama, pretty stocked program, right? Pretty stocked, okay? Pretty good at running back recruiting, wouldn't you say, Mike? Very good. Well, they signed Trey Sanders last year, who some people thought was the number one back in the country, who I thought was pretty good and a guy that maybe his second year would run the football pretty well for Alabama. You know, not right now. I didn't think he was going to beat out some guys in front of him. So he he blew out his knee in practice. They say he's out for the year. I read some hot takery, Mike, that said this is a a catastrophic injury for Alabama. The guy was third team. What are we talking about? Is is he not going to be on the punt block team now? Uh, is Bama not going to get that punt block to get, get, get able to block a punt against Duke? Because is that catastrophic? Where is the catastrophe? And it's because of those five stars attached to these guys' names. And, and 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 like I said, believe me, I've made a great living off of this, and I do think it matters, and it's fun to watch. But God, folks, it's a projection. You know, people sit here and think like like that they're that Clemson and Bama are because they got five star recruits. They're, they're the Golden State Warriors of college football. They're assembling super teams. No, the Golden State Warriors went out and signed some of the proven, not only best basketball players in the world, best athletes in the world, okay? that It's proven that Kevin Durant is great. It's proven that Steph Curry is great. I mean, it, it, it's, that, that's, there's no debate. These are high school football players. And, and, he, and guys that make a jump in football, whether it's junior high to high school, high school to college, whatever, Mike, they're, they're, half of them fall by the wayside. 
And then another half of them that come out of nowhere, the game, the light comes on and they end up being good. And, 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 and so that, that's my whole thing with it is it's like, I don't mind people loving five-star recruits. And I, and I agree with you that you got to look at the recruiting and you got to say this program's set up to be good. I'm not disagreeing with your point there at all. I'm talking about on an individual basis. We want to know why guys transfer is because they, you know, number one, the portals made it easy. Number two, I think they get addicted to the celebrity. I mean, you know, they they don't have to accomplish a damn thing on a college football field for people to write articles about how the loss of them is catastrophic for their team. Mm. Um, And to say they're turning college football upside down, you know, when you don't even know what position they're going to play. That's the problem I have with it. We want to know why guys transfer. That's fine. That's that. That's where you get stuff like this because they're addicted to the process, and and a lot of folks just give it to them. They give them that celebrity. They give them that credit based on what what fundamentally is a long term projection. Now, and, and quarterbacks too. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see the day again where DJ Shockley sits behind David Green and starts his senior year, like we had at Georgia. Right. I just I think that there's just too much out there with social media, with the regular media, and all that to where even if guys aren't that good or they need a year, they're going to think they're good enough to go on and 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 do something somewhere else. Well, and I I will say this, like in the case of Shock or, or uh, who I I happen to know well just because I worked with him. Um, and I mean, like for example, if you were I don't know, if you were a stud quarterback recruit, the coming in. And Tim Tebow just won the Heisman as a sophomore and is clearly not going to leave early because he's not good enough to be an NFL first rounder. Uh, I, I get it. Like if, if you see as a quarterbacks at one position, you can only play one at a time. Mm-hmm. And most coaches don't, they don't believe in that, you know, let's platoon them and let's do this. And you know, every now and then they try to get creative. Well, we got a package for him and you know, we're going to get, bring him in on goal line or zone read. But for the most part, you're either the guy or you're sitting on the bench. And so I get from a quarterback standpoint, I, I get it. If you feel like, okay, there's just no chance I'm going to play in the next two, three years. So it's probably best for me to go, yeah. but to go, but to go back to your point, I mean, some of these kids uh, believe their own hype so much that they don't, they don't take a common sense approach. You weren't, if you're Justin Fields, you didn't take a common sense approach to the Georgia situation. If you thought you were just going to go in there and, and knock Jake Fromm off uh, that, that's not a, a, a common sense approach. Um, you know, even the case of Trevor Lawrence, I mean, Kelly Bryant only had so much eligibility left. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you, you know, you weren't even if worse came to worst and you didn't win the job as a freshman, yeah. you were going to, you were going to have it soon after that. And so lots of quarterbacks left Clemson too. Hunter Johnson left. He's at Northwestern now. Yeah. I mean, you know, so that's, yeah. That's and for years and years they left Texas tech. I mean, they're like I said, I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know if it affects the overall health of college football much, but we are definitely in a transfer world, and more importantly, we're in a quarterback transfer world, which means that, again, there's no, there's no reserve roster. You're, you can't – when you have an injury in college football, you can't just bring up a guy from AAA. You can't bring him up from what they used to call the taxi squad, the mm-hmm. NFL, right? So – you now have a let's not forget how close Clemson was to losing a game in the middle of the season when Trevor went down with an injury. 
And, you know, luckily they, they converted on a key. What was it? Fourth down. And I can't remember the exact down and distance, but you know, you know, the play I'm talking about mm-hmm. that, that game was all but lost. Um, if, if that kid already decided to quit on the team, much like Kelly Bryant did, who knows? I mean, so I, we're going to get to a point where I think even the elite programs, the, the quarterback situation is going to be so thin because if you're an elite program, you're not recruiting many three-star quarterbacks. You're recruiting kids that have been told since they were 13 years old that they're going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL, and they're not just going to—they're not going to wait patiently two, three years. Remember when Bobby Bowden had to roll in at Florida State? You were lucky if you saw the field as a quarterback, if, unless until you were a redshirt junior. That was the case with guys like Charlie Ward. That was the case with guys like Danny Cannell. You didn't play as a freshman or a sophomore, but that has changed. Quarterbacks are more ready than ever. Seven on seven offseason camps, learning from people like the Mannings. I mean, it's just it's just a different ball game. So, like I said, um, don't have an opinion one way or another, good or bad. I just I just think it's interesting that that's a major migration uh, happening in college football. I think what you're going to see is this, Mike. I think that, you know, the philosophy on the recruiting trail is going to change because I'm going to promise you if something happens to Jake Fromm this year and Georgia finishes seven and five, that Kirby Smart's going to rethink his philosophy. You know, hey, I don't really need to go get Justin Fields, um, you know, because he's going to leave barring a catastrophic injury. And so now, you know, Georgia's backup quarterback is a walk-on. who's a pretty good walk-on, but he's a walk-on. And, um, you know, they probably will be in trouble in the passing game at that. And then they got a guy that they reached on that's hurt, Dewan Mathis, who committed to three or four different schools. I doubt he ends up doing anything. And then in the next class, they have a stud in uh, Carson Beck from Florida that's coming in. It's going to be really good. That's their next guy. What and, and you mentioned the Clemson situation. The Clemson backup quarterback is a guy named Chase Bryce, low four star guy, somewhat heavily recruited, committed to Clemson early, likes being at Clemson. Um, really good backup quarterback. You know, Clemson's got a five star stud guy, DJ Ugalele, coming in uh, from California for the 2020 class. And after Trevor Lawrence leaves, it's not going to surprise me if. You know, Chase Bryce starts a year before DJ takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the types of guys that are going to become very valuable for college football programs. You know, you're going to see – I think you're going to start seeing that happen and once there's, like, tangible proof. You're not going to go see, well, let's just line up five-star after five-star. You're going to go get your guy. Uh, and then the next year you're going to say, okay, well, well, here's a kid that's got a good arm that's probably a little underrated – not, not, you know, there's schools after him, but they're not big schools. He really wants to come play here. He's willing to red shirt. You know, he's willing to develop. Uh, and then that, that's how you're going to do it, you know, because if you, if you go and go for broke, you know, you're going to be a revolving door. And what happens is you're a revolving door with quarterback transfers. Um, and then so you lose guys, and then you have to fill the backfill with transfers. And so there's transfers coming in, and you're going to get no consistency at the position. Um, and that, that can cost you wins. So, so the minute like all these transfers cost teams wins because somebody gets hurt and then their backup situation is atrocious, you know, that's what, that's what you're going to see. I mean, Alabama's backup quarterback situation is – you know, pretty solid now, but nobody's heard of any of the guys that are backing up to him. Mac Jones, I think, is one of them. Um, 
And I think Saban did it right, you know, because he he lined up a bunch of Elite 11 guys year after year after year. Um, then Jalen Hurts came in and beat every single one of them out, and they all transferred, and he had no depth. And so his recruiting philosophies kind of changed. Alabama will sign a five-star stud probably really soon, um, and that'll be the next guy. But then you'll have other guys that can provide depth because – I mean, I you know, like like you know, you, you want something to worry about, Georgia fans. If Jake Fromm gets hurt this year, um, you know, you're up uh, Schlitz Malt Liquors Creek, because <laughs> um, uh, I there's which, just, which could be said about a lot of programs. Yeah, yeah, it's it, 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 it's crazy, and and it's because of this. I mean, you know, Ohio State. You know, the guy battling Justin Fields for the starting job is a graduate transfer from Kentucky that couldn't beat out Wilson. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it, it gets crazy, and, and you're not going to be able to, as an offensive coach and a head coach, have continuity on your football team. It's going to start costing some of these teams wins. So I would look for that recruiting philosophy uh, to change a little bit. I, the transfers aren't going away with the elite guys, but I would look for some elite programs to maybe, you know, not go so hard after, you know, five-star after five-star after five-star, elite 11 after elite 11, just because you can create a big blow a hole in your roster, you know, the size of um, that hole in the side of the Death Star and and Return of the Jedi, uh, if you're not careful. He is J.C. Sherbert. I am Mike Morgan. You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast brought to you by BP Skinner Clothiers. Why customize your clothing? Well, simply put, you want your look to be as unique as you are, whether you're looking for a custom look or a consultant to help you build your wardrobe. The team at BP Skinner is here to help. Brent Skinner specifically will come to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. He will come to you, and I'm telling you firsthand, and so many people and so many different lines of work can tell you firsthand, there is a difference, obviously, with custom versus off the rack, and there's a difference who you do that custom with, and that's where Brent Skinner comes in. He's a difference maker, actually cares, takes a lot of pride, has a lot of his clients that are in the public light, wants to make sure that you are happy with the service and that it's priced right as well. Go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. It's bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner, and they'll come out. He'll come out, and you won't have to move a muscle. He'll just take care of you. Well, you have to stand up, I guess, from the fitches. So technically, that's moving a muscle. But that beats the heck out of going to some uh, shopping mall or uh, department store to do all that. And again, the quality so so much better. BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Uh, I'm going to throw three quick hitters at you, JC. I don't want to spend too much time in any of this, but just from a news note standpoint, I found this kind of interesting. There's an article today, Mike Gundy. Uh, I'm surprised he really even made this public, but he said he turned down the Tennessee job not once, not twice, but three times. Has no regrets. Uh, Brenton Cox, speaking of five-star kids from Georgia, he transfers to Florida. And Tate Martell, the transfer from Ohio State, does not win the job at Miami. Thoughts on those three little headlines? I'll start with the last one first. I think I I said this. You've been all over that for a year. We briefly talked about it, and and I I had my doubts about Tate Martell to begin with, but uh, once Jaron Williams decided to stay, because Williams was going to transfer, remember, um, and look, Jaron Williams was a top one hundred prospect. Okay, so this is this is why some of this five star hype gets stupid. 
Jaron Williams was a, a, a high top 100 prospect. He's from right here in Atlanta. Good arm. Was committed to Kentucky for a while. So, and then flipped to Miami and played for Coach Rick. Um, when I saw him, you know, he reminds me of DeAndre Francois in terms of arm, pocket passer, tough kid, smart kid, that type of thing. Um, did not surprise me at all that he won the job. Um, and, and so I think now Miami probably has a better shot at having a successful season that they went with him because if he hadn't beaten out Tate Martell, Tate Martell is a very limited guy and quite frankly does not fit their offense. Um, and quite frankly has made horrible decision after horrible decision in terms of where he needs, he needs to go to, you know, where he needs to go, Mike, the university of Nevada, Las Vegas, go home, play for the rebels. Uh, that's your only shot. I think, in my opinion. And, and there's already people talking about, well, where will he transfer now? And that's just ridiculous. No Lane Kiffin? There's all kinds of like, um, uh, hey, that would be great. You know, FAU's a place he could play. I mean, there's all kinds of like speculation. Big programs, too. He could go here. He could go to – I mean, no, he couldn't. <laughs> He's got to get a lot better. He needs to go somewhere in red shirt and get better, like most quarterbacks, okay? Even guys with, with the hype, Okay. Um, Brenton Cox, off the field issues after off the field issues at Georgia. Um, it just didn't work out. It was, my understanding was it was a mutual parting of ways. He did not get kicked off the team. He shows up at Florida. I'm going to be stunned if I don't know what kind of, um, how they'll end up trying to get him eligible immediately at Florida, but I, I just, I don't know. I mean, if there's something behind the scenes or what. Um, you know, he's one of these five-star guys that again needs to develop. If I were Florida, given, you know, some of the off the field stuff that's happened the last off season, I, I understand you want players. I get it. And I understand you want to stick it to Georgia. I get that too, but I just wouldn't have taken him. I, I wouldn't have taken him. Uh, I, I, you know, not that he's a bad person and doesn't deserve a chance, but a lot of times it's about culture fit and program fit. And if you're trying to kind of reverse some of the cultural issues you've had at Florida this offseason, I just don't know that you add a guy like that. That's my thought. Gator fans, I wish you the best. I, I hope he's an All-American, you know, because at his best, he can be Brandon Spikes, okay? We all remember Brandon Spikes, don't we? Sure. At, at Brenton Cox ceiling is Brandon freaking Spikes. <laughs> and he's probably a better pass rusher and better lateral movement. But his floor or, or, or his downside is, you know, he, he's got to kind of get along with his teammates and, you know, be part of the team and, 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 and work and things like that. Uh, so that's good. Uh, for him and and all that. I don't. What was the first thing I forgot? I'm, I'm a man. I'm oh, forty. My God, I've turned down Tennessee three times. That's, I'm a man. That's the honest to God truth. I mean, because I remember reading. Well, I know when, he turned it down at least once. When, I know that for a fact. When Dooley was hired, they talked to Mike Gundy. When um, when Butch was hired, they talked to Mike Gundy, and we know he definitely turned it down this last time. So that that timeline makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gundy's a guy. I, I just don't think he's ever leaving Oklahoma State. I, I don't think so either because, I mean, if he was going to leave, I think he would have done it by now. It's well documented. Uh, he and some of the brass over there do not see eye to eye, and I don't think Mike Gundy is ever going to kowtow to anybody in the Oklahoma State community because at the end of the day, he played for him. Mm-hmm, I remember. Uh, it's a man who handed off the ball to one Barry Sanders. 
and did so with a mega mullet flying through the back of his helmet. Um, I, you know, I've, I've done Oklahoma state games. I've been in a room with Mike Gundy. I, I like Mike Gundy. I think he's a very engaging guy. I don't know if he's a great coach. I, I, I don't know if he would have fit at Tennessee or anywhere in the sec. I, I don't know. I mean, it would have been an interesting hire, you know, it would have been intriguing for sure. I, I guess if just from a standpoint of sitting back with my popcorn and watching something unfold, I would have loved to seen it happen with all due respect to Jeremy Pruitt. It's a more exciting hire than Jeremy Pruitt. I'm not saying it's a better hire, but it's more, it, it's more of a storyline to see Mike Gundy get out of his uh, comfort zone there in Stillwater. And look, he's done some good things there, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how that even came up. Somebody was interviewing him and it became a story, but Take that for what it's worth. I mean, he's 121 and 59. I mean, he's had one losing season. That was his first in 2005 at Mm -hmm. Okie State. And, you know, had the one year in 2011 where it was kind of debatable if if they would have, if they should have gone and played LSU. He says they'd have beaten LSU that year, Mike. My take is this. Yes, that would have been a higher scoring football game. I think that. Oklahoma State would have been able to put up points against the LSU defense, but I also think the score at halftime would have been 35-14 to 14 LSU because that LSU team would have run up and down the field on them. Yeah, I wouldn't argue that because, again, they don't play defense uh, at, in Stillwater just like they don't play it in Norman, just like they don't play it in uh, Waco, just like they don't play it in Lawrence, just like they don't play it play a little bit in Manhattan, Kansas, although we'll see now with a, a new regime there, if that it, it changes at all uh, real quick, before we close up shop, just uh, found this somewhat interesting nowadays, you know, Bobby Bowden to me was the first preeminent college football coach that became a major delegator, right? I mean, at the end of his career and they were still winning a lot of games. I'm not talking the very end when the wheels fell off. I'm talking about 1990s, early two thousands, Bobby Bowden, uh, they were uh, uh, as good as it got in college football. And yet they were known for their coordinators, Mickey Andrews on the defensive side and everybody from Mark Rick, Brad Scott and others on the uh, offensive side. So that to me started the ball rolling where head coaches in college football decided as much as they like to be control freaks about a lot of things they can't do it all. And so they really started aggressively getting coordinators. I think the modern day version of this is Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney was never even a coordinator when he got the job, but Dabo Sweeney's smart enough to know what he doesn't know and made sure he has surrounded himself with great coordinators. And of course, as we've talked about a couple of weeks ago, the continuity in that staff is amazing, especially when you stack it up to say in Alabama, when Nick Saban's losing top notch coaches on a yearly basis. So here we go. It's from Adam Rittenberg, good writer at ESPN.com. Top new coordinators, coordinators at different spots in college football. Alex Grinch, the new D.C. at Oklahoma. He's going to try to instill something they haven't had there in a while, and that's D. Co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach at Ohio State was his previous job. I see the gallery likes that uh, that call as well. Uh, Josh Gaddis, Michigan, offensive coordinator. Now, you know Jim Harbaugh is going to keep his fingerprints on everything that happens with, with Shea Patterson and everybody else. But maybe Josh Gaddis, who came from Alabama, can uh, throw a few new wrinkles in there 
for Jim Harbaugh's offense, which at times is not exactly witted up the way I think a lot of people thought it would. Graham Harrell, we talked about earlier, now with Southern Cal, uh, making his way over from North Texas. Uh, another Texas Tech product. Not that long ago, I was calling a Gator Bowl where he was throwing touchdown passes to Michael Crabtree. Greg Madison, Ohio State defensive coordinator, uh, was the D-line D coach at Michigan. So you got <laughs> kind of funny. You got coaches changing the uh, the border there a couple mm-hmm. of times. Oh, yeah. Um, Dan Enos at Miami. I think this is one of the most important ones of the bunch. I've got a lot of respect for Dan Enos. Um I, I think that's going to be an interesting one at Miami. Of course, you know, as we just talked about their quarterback situation, I don't know how many miracles is going to be able to perform right away there, but that's a solid hire by a head coach that needs a solid offensive coordinator because that offense is not Manny Diaz's deal. Kendall Bryles at Florida State. Lord knows they couldn't even line up right um, at Florida State last year. So Willie Taggart had to get some help and get a guy who knows what the heck he's doing and get a guy who can actually organize this team because they looked like uh, just a ragtag group last year. So Kendall Bryles, to me, that's a solid hire. I know there's a little controversy there because of his because of his pops, but the guy's done good things just about everywhere he has coached, including his last spot in Houston. Uh, Mike McIntyre, Ole Miss. Mike McIntyre was the 2016 Coach of the Year, and Colorado fired him. Two years later, I don't know about that move, but I think that's a, again. Ole Miss has not played a lick of D now in a while. If Matt Luke is going to save his job, they have to play some defense there. So Mike McIntyre, uh, he's going to be huge for for Ole Miss. Otherwise, that whole staff's going to be looking for a job at the end of the season. Jim Cheney, one of the most intriguing when you leave Georgia for Tennessee. Although people close to the Georgia program tell me they were not in exactly in a hurry to keep him in Athens for whatever reason. I, I don't think it was a, a contentious situation. I just think a lot of people there thought it was time for a change. They let Jim Cheney go without much of a fight. Jim Cheney was more than happy to go to Tennessee. He'll be working with Garitano. Um, and I think that's a solid, a solid move for, for Tennessee. I think he fits into what they want to do there. Uh, and then Andy Ludwig, ten, uh, excuse me, Utah, was with Vanderbilt and now is the OC at Utah. Uh, so those are some of the premier coordinator moves. And I would tell you that coordinators now are more important than they've ever been in the sport of college football. Just, and the salaries would reflect that at the top programs. Yeah, okay. So there's five coaches active that have won national championships. Um, only two have more than three years experience coordinating and that's Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. Les Miles spent three years as the OC at Okie state in the nineties. They weren't very good. <laughs> Mac Brown spent a grand total of one year as a coordinator. And that was at Oklahoma in 1984 where I think it is. They just ran the wishbone and uh, Barry Sanders, uh, Barry Switzer was there. Debo Sweeney has zero years coordinator experience. So, Yes, the, 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 there's a small club of championship winners right now, and you know, less than half have all this experience as a coordinator, and and I, I think that that's why you see some, you know, you, why it's not always you know, oh, we can't hire this guy as our head coach because he's he, he's you know, he was on a staff where the offense sucked. What was he the, the calling the plays? Oh no, no, he was the the tight ends coach or whatever. But he's, you know, a great organizer, a great delegator, a good leader. He's inspirational. 
Why not hire him? Um, frankly, I see some guys like that getting coordinator jobs. Josh Gaddis comes to mind. Josh Gaddis, uh, not a play calling guy, you know, and, and everybody talks about him like he's going to save the Michigan offense. He's got new ideas. Um, and that may be so because he coached for James Franklin at Vanderbilt and Penn State for a long time. And I like Josh Gaddis. He's a heck of a recruiter. Um, obviously did some good things at Bama the one year he was there. But, uh, you know, I you want this guy to save your offense from a guy that's one of the not only the best one of the best coaches in college football, but all of football. I don't know. Um on this list, I mean, McIntyre is very important for Ole Miss. He, he's a he's a veteran coach. He, he kind of has some connections with Matt Luke from the Duke days, the Cutcliffe days uh, over there. You know, Cheney to me is going to be better than what Tennessee had. I think he may run into some of the same issues there that he did at Georgia, um, just in terms of style or whatever. Um, I'll tell you this. I think Alex Grinch, Kendall Bryles, and, and, and look, I, I think it sucks for people to blame Kendall Bryles for what his dad, what happened with his dad at Baylor. And I know he was kind of halfway involved in some of that stuff. And if you want to talk about, like, what he did and how he handled it and, and put a scarlet letter on him because of it and never let him be a head coach because of it, that's fine. But I'll tell you this, Kendall Bryles is a hell of a coach, and he may save Willie Taggart's job and may save the Florida State program. Um, I think that was an absolutely genius hire. Um, and, uh, you know, Alex Grinch, you know, everybody talks about, you know, where he was at uh, previously. Um, I think Ohio State. And uh, the he's at Oklahoma and going to have them play defense. Well let, well, let me tell you where Alex Grinch coached a while back, Mike. Uh, nobody talks about this. It's like everybody talks about Ohio State. We're honestly – they didn't play any defense. <laughs> okay? Let's just be honest. They didn't play much defense at Ohio State last year. They were bad. They had a bad year. Um, he coached from 2015 to 2017 at Washington State. And I'm here to tell you, I watched some Washington State football while he was there, and they did a really good job taking undersized players taking the players they get on defense out there. They do a lot of recruiting in, like, American Samoa. And some of those Washington State teams where he was the defensive guy, um, they were good. (laughs) And and he's going to deal with the same type of stuff at Oklahoma where it's about offense and going up and down the field. Um, Only at Ohio State for one year. Also used to coach under Gary Pinkle at Missouri and was part of that Missouri staff that won back-to-back SEC East. So he learned a thing or two uh, from some of those coaches at Missouri that were very, very good for all those years uh, at kind of piecing together defenses. And and I think Oklahoma, while they do recruit high-level talent, um, when you're in that situation as a defensive coach and you have to kind of do what you can do, um, there may not be a better one that has done that to go get than Alex Grinch. And so Lincoln Riley uh, really did a good job, you know, and hired the guy that I think can can save that side of the ball, if anybody, in that league. Agreed on, on all counts. Uh, it'll be very interesting to watch and see what happens with that this year. We are uh, a little bit over time, not yeah. uncommon. But uh, for those that want to go ahead, I just had a couple people the other day ask me, 
people are still getting um, acclimated with the podcast world. And I'm never as good at explaining how to do this as you are. So for someone who's listening to this and there's someone else in the room going, gosh, I'd like to hear that podcast too. JC, how do they do it? Go to uh, it's, it's iTunes, still iTunes for now, but it's called Apple Podcast iTunes. If you're a, um Apple user, you could easily download it. Subs- hit the subscribe button. It's free. Rate us five stars. Talk nice about us or not um, on there. Um, also, if you're an Android user, uh, you can get us on Google Play. We're also on the Stitcher app. Just about anywhere that you know you can find podcast, podcast mania apps like that. You will find JC and Morgan. When when you seek JC and Morgan, you will usually find JC and Morgan. Well said. All right. We'll be back at this, and pretty soon we're actually going to have games to talk about. How about that? Miami and Florida will kick it off in, what, 10 days, if my math is correct? Yes, 10 days from the time that we are recording this right now. But we'll have another installment of this podcast right before then, talk more about that game and some other big matchups coming up in week one as well for jc sherbert mike morgan saying so long from now thank you so much for taking the time to tune in to another jc and morgan podcast